Finding God in Unexpected Places. This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Here's Jason Elam. Welcome in to another episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. I am here with a couple of my favorite people on earth. I am so excited about what these two are doing and the movement that is building around them. I've wanted to talk to him for a long time. This is another one of those interviews that uh, I've, I've put off several times due to my recent illness, and they have been very patient, rescheduling time after time, uh, and I appreciate the grace. Welcome to the Messy Spirituality Podcast, Rachel and Derek Myers. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having us. We're very excited. We love you, Jason. <laughs> I love you guys, both of you. And I'm so excited about what is happening with your favorite heretics. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. Derek, we got to know you a little bit back on episode 34. Uh, so Rachel, let's start this conversation with you. Were you raised in an atmosphere of faith? So that's kind of like a complicated question, but like what isn't a complicated question when it comes to deconstruction and all of that stuff. So for me, I was not raised in a spiritually or religious household. My mom was raised Catholic and converted to, I I don't want to say converted to Christianity, but leaned more towards like a non-denominational Christianity by the time she had met my dad. And my dad, his parents were Roman Catholic and just like he hates organized religion. And so something that was like very strict in my house is, you know, at a very, very early age, we tried to go to some church stuff, but my dad just could not come, come to terms with that. So I think that lasted for like maybe a year and then we stopped going to church and it was, it wasn't just like we stopped. It was no Bibles, no, no, this, no religion period. Um, and so that was like, by the time I was like six, yeah, it was very interesting. Um, I remember first my older sister saying that she didn't believe in God. And that was the first time I think I had ever heard that you didn't have to believe in God. And I was just like, that's so strange. Like that just you know, it's like the stories and why, why don't you believe in him? And it was, yeah, it was very eye opening, And I was just like, how could that be possible? And then, you know, very shortly after that, I found that I didn't actually believe in God either. And it just was not a concept for me. And then for a very long time, I hated religion and I was very against it. And I remember when I was 19 and I lived with my boyfriend, he was a Buddhist. And I was like, if we ever have kids, like we are not raising them Buddhist. Like we are not indoctrinating them. I was so strict about it. You know, and that was a conversation that I had to have very early on with some of the people that I dated. And then at 20, I converted to Christianity. Just like, it was one of those like, and I hate to put it this way, but like one of those radical conversion stories that like, you know, evangelical Christians like ooze over and like want to happen to them and like they want to witness. And, you know, it was very like, I think that's what kept me in the evangelical realm for a bit was because like people loved my story and I felt like I belonged for the first time. Well, not for the first time, just I felt received for the first time. I felt like I had a place and that people wanted me you know, after growing up in a very, very hard environment with a lot of mental illness. And then it very quickly, you know, turned out to not be that way once my story stopped being, you know, idolized. And it just became very, very challenging. And not that I was clinging onto my story being idolized. It was just like people were pouring into me in a way that I had never received. And then it just got very 
different after that. And, and I can go more into that later because that sounds kind of like it's coming across like, and then my ego wasn't stroked and then it was terrible, but that wasn't it at all. I promise it just, you know, I realized like a lot of people were using my story for their benefit and, you know, it just was this uncomfortable, like, I don't really feel like I was gaining any depth, you know, in relationships and I wasn't getting a lot of what I was promised to receive through this Christianity and this community. And then a whole nother slew of mental health problems started. So that was that, that was kind of like my upbringing and and how I came to know Christianity as a religion that I called my own for a time. And yeah, it was, it was a battle through it. How long was it between this incredible conversion moment until you started to feel like that brand, at least, of Christianity was not a good fit for you? You know, as an Enneagram 8, um, I'm an Enneagram 7, but I'm also an 8. It's it's complicated. <laughs> um, but as somebody who identifies very strongly with an Enneagram 8, it, it was like almost immediately, like I converted to Christianity and I was like, mm, this doesn't seem like serious enough because I, I don't want to name drop, but it's like a really big evangelical church in Atlanta. You can probably guess which one, but I immediately started serving. I immediately got a mentor. I just like really dove in deep and it just, I was like, no, this is too surface. Like I want to dig deeper. I want to dig deeper. And so I moved out to California and started taking care of my grandparents. And I found a really small Bible college and I was like, this is great. I'm going to go learn about the Bible, you know? And then it just like the deeper I dug. And she met this really attractive guy who just swept her off her feet and couldn't resist him. And uh, (laughs) six years later and two kids later, um, she's still so smitten. So (laughs) she wonders what she was thinking. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it was a very quick turnaround for me. I was in this world from 20 until I would say about like 24. I was really, really like giving it my all like Bible college mentor, like serving tithing when I had literally no money. Like I, my, my friends were all Christian who were like holding me accountable. Like, uh, I had an eating disorder and, and struggled with that while I was living with some Christian roommates. And they were so great with like, talking to me through it and like praying with me through it. And like, you know, I'm doing all these things. Like I'm going to deliverances. I just like everything, everything. And, you know, I kept like, it just didn't fit. It just like, I tried and I tried and I prayed and I begged and I cried in the shower, going to sleep, like to my mentor, to my friends. And it just was agony to Derek, like, you know, cause I have, and I am now diagnosed with CPTSD, which in hindsight makes so much sense because it's just not something that like my brain and the trauma that I had endured in my childhood and thereafter could really just be, you know, prayed and controlled in, in the way that I was receiving in evangelical Christianity, um, or fundamental Christianity. You know, I, I went through a lot like charismatic. I went through a lot, like nothing was closed off. Cause to me, it was just all Jesus. I didn't know what denominations were when I converted, I didn't know what the gospels were when I converted. It just was all so new, you know, that hungry new Christian, you know, and I've gotten like, since I've been out of it, I really started deconstructing, I would say at the end of, or 
yeah, at the beginning of 2015, I think is when I really got hit with a lot. And I went into a, a deep, deep depression just due to some spiritual abuse that I had faced from a mentor. And it just felt like my fault and that I, you know, hadn't done a good enough job at being a Christian. And, you know, it hurts now because my friends, well, not my friends, but a specific friend that I lived with at the time through that used that specific instance against me to prove that I was never truly saved or, you know, just like very, very hurtful things that are very inappropriate in any other context of the world. And it just, you know, it's, it's cruel. And so, you know, I went through this deconstruction phase and it was about a four year that I was really giving it my all in evangelical Christianity. And it just, or any Christianity, literally, like I tried Lutheranism, you know, we went to an Anglican church, like there was nothing that was off limits for me to just like relate to God. And then it just, you know, it's not that it's not true, but for me, these certain theological understandings and these certain spiritual practices were causing way more trauma in my life than they were bringing freedom. And, you know, you know, the Christianese, you know, that you need to rely more on God, die to your flesh, all of these things, like put yourself second. Like it doesn't matter if you're going through a painful life because you have eternity to look forward to. Like I get the lingo. I get the, I, I internalized it. I know it, but that doesn't make it any more true. And it doesn't make it any more right to preach to somebody who has severe trauma and they're not getting the help that they need. And that was my case, you know? And so for somebody who didn't go through this deep generational trauma, that might be something that they can receive and relate to the divine through. But for me, it was not, you know, and I don't think that that was appropriately addressed in the church when, you know, I'm crying to my mentor that I want to die. And there was no real answer other than like, you know, I'm Christ, love him. And it was genuine and it was real. And she was there for me, but it was not appropriate. I remember hearing Sarah Bessie say one time that the, there was just no room in the church for her grief. Mm-hmm. I feel like church d- doesn't know how, but in so many church settings, not all of them, certainly, but most of them I've been a part of, including the ones that I led for 20 years, there was no room for people's pain. Uh, we really tried mm-hmm. to sweep it under the rug, and that is so absolutely destructive. Um, and so you kind of got forced into a deconstruction. It just clearly wasn't working. So uh, Derek... Yeah. Was that happening for the two of you around the same time? Again, we know a little of your backstory, but were y'all on track with that together or was it friction between you? (laughs) You know, we've talked about how for quite a while in our marriage, you know, I joked earlier in case no one picked it up, we met in Bible college. So there was that foundation of our faith together that that really, you know, brought us together. We were in a very... Like the Christian-y, like we're so different, but Jesus has to bring us together. Like so genuine in saying those things, but like we could not be more different. <laughs> like emotionally, spiritually, you know, just every everything in every way, like down to our like food preferences. <laughs> so opposite. But anyway, so we met and shortly after we got married, like Rachel shared, she went through that time of of pretty deep depression and, uh, as a result of the spiritual trauma that she'd gone through. Mm -hmm. And, um, a lot of what came as a result was, you know, learning to navigate things spiritually for the both of us. And 
I think that there is this expectation to, you know, do the the Christiany things as a, a couple, you know, where it's like, oh, you've got to have Bible study together and pray together regularly and do all these things. And I think we realized that one, we didn't know how to play the game. <laughs> and two, it just wasn't real. And that's something that we've always craved, even though we've both had, you know, different expressions of that we both crave real and not just like we say we crave real like actual true like messy vulnerability where it 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 just it is what it is you know there's no shame between what we're feeling or you know what we're going through it's just as long as we're real with one another I think that's you know yeah and and I think that there was a while that we just had to shelf having spiritual conversations because it would just bring up a lot of trauma for Rachel. And um, so it was kind of a lot of like Lone Ranger spirituality for me <laughs> for a while. And, you know, I'd, I'd even serve at church and go to church by myself. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm not saying that that was the right thing to do. I think I learned what not to do um, when one spouse is deconstructing and the other's not. So anyway, um, I often think that deconstruction is just a human experience and we don't have language for it. But I would say when I formally started deconstructing was shortly after our son was born, our firstborn rain. And, um, I remember being like, how could I imagine ever inflicting any harm on my son, no matter what he did? I just, you know, being filled with this unexplainable, unconditional love or as close to it as I can imagine. And then trying to reconcile this idea of eternal hell that I was told was irrefutable and the only way of understanding, uh, you know, the destiny for those who don't accept Jesus. Right. And I know for me, what ended up happening was I was like, I, I can't reconcile this, this Abba that I've come to know and, you know, it's kind of what I talked about in our, our last, uh, you know, time together. I can't reconcile that picture that I know, that experience of the love of God that I've had. And this experience of vicarious love, in a sense, of how I love my son. And this idea of eschatology that looks like God is this vengeful, two-faced, retributive being that's just at any moment, out of the drop of a hat, willing to inflict an endless amount of suffering on someone who doesn't pray a prayer. And I just began to question. And I think I was never really encouraged to look into other things. And I think many people, especially who grew up in an evangelical setting, were just kind of spoon-fed these things. And like, it's just matter of fact, that is how it is. There's no alternative way of looking at things. I didn't you know, and, and the more I learned about church history and the more I heard alternative eschatological views and all these different ways to look at hell and, and, you know, how we arrived at certain, you know, places, I remember just being like this light bulb going off and it, it felt like things began to click. Like you're waking up from a nightmare almost. And I know for me, I remember telling Rachel some of these realizations and she, though she was deconstructing, it wasn't so theological in nature. It was more as a result of the like horrible trauma that she had to go, that she had gone through. 
And I, I just remember even coming to her and sharing some of those things. And she wasn't theologically there, even though she, in a lot of ways, you know, we were starting to cross paths in deconstruction. Mm -hmm. And so I remember telling her about like some of my thoughts and realizations about, um, you know, um, universal reconciliation, right? That view. And she just looked at me like I had two heads or something like that. She's like, no, what? What are you talking about? You know what I mean? And so uh, I remember hearing um, Paul Young on a a podcast and him talking, uh, basically just totally turning penal substitutionary atonement upside down for me. And I mean, it was just like thing after thing, but oddly enough, I pumped the brakes hard because I just, I wasn't quite ready to swallow the the red pill or blue pill. I don't know the matrix analogy and really wake up and, and, and come to grips with the reality I was living in and seeing all around me. So it's kind of did one of those things where I buried the covers over my head, like a little kid who's scared in the middle of the night. And, um, Anyway, I remember it was, you know, at that point that it began and shortly after, maybe a a year or two after, I was like, all right, I'm going to take this off the shelf, blow the dust off and pick back up where I left off. And that was kind of around the time where Rachel was starting to go to UGA, which is where she was uh, pursuing her bachelor's in religious studies. And uh, she was coming across those more theological sides of the you know, deconstruction process mm-hmm. for her. And, uh, we were like, oh my gosh, can we talk about spiritual things again? Wait, we agree on things Wait, you don't believe the Bible's inerrant anymore. What? You know, like it was just kind of one of those moments where full circle sort of deal. Mm-hmm. And for us a long time, kind of meandering on our own, doing our own thing, we found ourselves in a similar spot and, and we're still different and we've, mm-hmm. we've deconstructed differently and quote unquote reconstructed differently. And, whatever lingo you want to use, but there's like space for each one of that. We really don't talk about our differences ever and more just talk about our similarities now because we do have a lot of differences. Like he still identifies as Christian. I don't just because like, to me, like what is Christianity? Like that's not something that I truly feel like I can identify with. Um, Not because I don't think that there's truth in the Bible and that there's beauty in the Bible and things that I can take away. But yeah, I think it's just at this point, like it's all just so uncertain that I can't hold on to it in the same ways that I did. Um, and it wouldn't like blow my mind if it wasn't like the, the final say, you know, and I, I kind of don't believe that anyway. So, but we, you know, we still talk about like theology literally all the time. I made a joke on our, I posted a story to our heretic page that you know, we started our morning off, our Valentine's morning off with talking about St. Augustine and his theological replications of... Repercussions. Whatever, repercussions. That's what I'm also here for. To correct my words. (laughs) Dyslexia for the win. It's amazing. Um, So, but yeah, theological repercussions of um, St. Augustine. And it was, you know, just a very us kind of thing, you know, and we don't, we don't see eye to eye on a lot, but but I'm, I'm thankful for the things that we do. You know, it, it brings us a lot closer. We're like a Venn diagram, whereas before we were like two circles on opposite sides of the now, universe. Now like the seams are touching. <laughs> the seams are touching a little bit. bit of overlap. And that's like, oh my gosh, miles of overlap in my brain. So 
was that a hard place for you to come to together? I mean, it just seems like so much of evangelicalism is about controlling one another and using shame to, you know, keep everybody in the boat. Was it hard? Was that something you had to be disciplined about to make space for each other's differences like that? So for me, I would see him go to church every Sunday. And that was just like, I had to make space for that because I, that's not something that I honored him doing mostly because one of the more recent churches that we went to, not the one that we finally stopped going to, um, but this like very toxic church um, that we went to for like five years ish, or he went to like for like four years, just like used him very bad. And Derek is a very caring, giving person. And so I would just see, thank you. I would just see (laughs) the way that he would, you know, give and give and give and like not receive anything from it. Like I remember one morning I had to drive him at like seven o'clock in the morning and we had like a two-year-old at the time because he wasn't wearing the right shoes. I had to bring him different shoes because he was playing guitar on stage and he didn't meet the dress code. And it was like, what was it? Like Converse or something like that. I, I was wearing sandals. It was, it was just like one of those moments where I was like, this, this is not Christian. Like, this is not how you relate to divinity. Like, this is not, I I just couldn't get behind it. And so, and, and just like with really bad narcissistic leadership there, like everything in me, every time I went would just like crawl out of my skin. I like couldn't sit in service. And I was past the point of like really receiving these messages anyway. And I just, yeah. So watching him go and be used like that and be under this teaching that I knew was very harmful was just, you know, cause like, they switched buildings and, you know, they would like coerce us into like inviting people because they wanted to, the Holy Spirit's giving me a vision of filling up all these seats. And it's like, so just like ask for more members, like, don't just say like the Holy Spirit's leading you to these things when like, all you want is just like more members and more finances. Like that's like, if you're going to say that, like, just be honest in it, be upfront. Don't say like the Holy Spirit's giving you a vision and all this like weird stuff. Like it's, that's bullshit. And that like cheapens relation to like God and, and who you're trying to teach us about, you know? And it's like just this inauthentic, like not everything has to be the Holy spirit to be a desire and something that you want, but just be honest in that. Because like, if you're trying to pass that off as divinity, like that's really strange, you know, it's manipulative. It is. It's just using God's name for your gain. And it just, I I don't know. It's wasn't my thing personally. Well, that's one of the things that I love the most about you guys and and the group that you started is that authenticity. I love that you're willing to say things like that out loud because, you know, that manipulation doesn't get called out nearly enough. Um, I know that just from being in evangelicalism uh, as long as I was, and, and I know y'all were right there with uh, with me on that for a while, uh, there's so much guilt and shame that is used. Was it hard to walk away from because you had been conditioned to need it so much? Uh, Rachel, it sounds like you kind of had a hostility. It sounds like you couldn't get out fast enough. Is that right? Yes. Well, I like, I never really had like the conviction to, and we were talking about this the other day. Like I never received the messages when I was younger to trust your pastors with everything and they have the final say and, you know, Sunday school. I never went through those things. So I feel very like having like kind of a, a different relation to a lot of church leadership because it, for me, it wasn't, they had the spiritual authority. 
you know, to me, they were just another person who was trying to understand the Bible and Mm -hmm. trying to lead people. And so I was always very skeptical of leadership. And, you know, that also came from not being able to really trust leadership in my life up until that point. Um, just like with parental figures and, you know, just who promised safety in my life and never delivered. Um, so I, I've always had a hard time with leadership and for better or for worse, you know, I feel like that that's made me who I am today to be able to question and think through things on my own, you know, ultra independency, <laughs> kind of my thing. But yeah, I feel very thankful to have gone through that you know, and so that wasn't very hard for me to walk away. It, it was hard to walk away spiritually from God or, or felt like I was walking away in the way that I understood it and the way that I was told that I was walking away from God, What which now I know like where I relate to, you know, higher power or whatever, it's like inseparable. Like I don't need to sit there and pray I don't need to sit there and read religious texts to relate to him. You know, like the work that I do for me, like, and relating to people, like that's my, I hate to say worship or prayer because I feel like that's not it, but that's the way that I express how, how I relate to the divine. And that doesn't have to be like this ultimate supreme God. It's just, it's a circular thing. It's an honoring thing. And I feel like honoring one another and loving one another and making space and healing for one another is where you find that for me personally. Um, and I think that a lot of religion points to that, but it's just kind of taking the legalism off and just like letting myself exist with people. And, and I enjoy it. I think for me, um, you know, growing up in the church and really having that ingrained, from an early age, I dealt with pretty severe scrupulosity, uh, which is religious OCD. Um, and I actually wasn't clinically diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder until about two or so years ago. But there was a lot of external pressure to make sure that you were measuring up, right? And I think a lot of what the message that I received growing up of what it meant to be a Christian was I need to do more. I need to appear holier. And that looks like gritting my teeth really hard and clenching my fists and mustering up as much inner strength that I can to not sin, quote unquote, and to, you know, pray more and read the Bible more and don't say four letter words and like, don't cuss, whatever. Like, I just remember it was like, it was all about these rituals and all about this external appearance, which was so much pressure to live up to because I felt like I didn't have permission to fail, permission to take risks, permission to be free, really. And not as an excuse to just live recklessly, but like as a means to have agency, um, you know, and, and, and learn to have my own autonomy in a sense of where I'm capable of navigating this journey with God. That isn't this like view of God looking to like that God is expecting perfection from me. And if I don't try really hard and beat myself up and say, I'm sorry, 37 times a day for each and every little iota of things that I've done wrong throughout the day or what I think I've done wrong, 
you know, I became so overly introspective that I was just riddled with anxiety. And uh, anyway, so I bring all that up because I think guilt and shame was a, and fear were very powerful motivators growing up, far more than love and freedom were for me. And as time went on and I began to experience just this, this picture of God as Abba and seeing God as love and truly, truly knowing that, not just from like a, you know, I've, I've heard about it from a pastor or it was talked about in this particular verse. It was, it was this, you know, real deep internal sense of knowing and believing. And it, for me, that was where I started to feel comfortable pushing against a lot of toxic theology that I was told. And so I think for me, the more and more I believed how loved I was, the more that made me feel free to be myself. And the more it made me feel free to explore my journey in a way that helped others feel the same way. And so freedom has been really big for me over the last shoot, eight years at least. And I think largely it's because I was so confined and constricted in so many ways. And um, yeah, I'm still really figuring out what that looks like and what that means. But I think that's the point is that freedom is something that's really scary to the evangelical church. because, And that's why you know legalism is so appealing because you can keep people in order and keep people doing the right things. Tithe 10%, don't say bad words, go to church every Sunday, serve regularly, read the Bible. Well, it's like a way for us to like affirm ourselves that we are right. on a path, right? you know? And so it's like, if you get this concept of freedom, like truly get this concept of freedom, like where's, where's my measure of where I am? You know, like, how can I measure how good I am, how close I am to God? And it's like, I, it's just, I don't know. And like, even while Derek was sharing his story and while I'm sharing my story, you can just hear that evangelical voice in the back. That's like, well, they obviously didn't experience true Christianity or they didn't, they didn't do it right. Like God didn't reveal himself in the way, you know, and like they, what they experienced isn't. And, and it's just like, it's so exhausting because you have to like, even in sharing your story, your very real journey with God, it's like you have to over explain so that maybe an evangelical who's listening in or a fundamentalist who's listening in will actually take you seriously and not just cut it off because it's not the experience that they understand and that they've been told their whole life is true. And it's just, I don't know that always, like every time we do podcasts or share our story or share a post, I just like hear that little fundamental voice in my head that, you know, you're going to get that pushback because of this, this, and this that they've been taught. And, And it's just like, it's, it's very boxy. It's very boxy. It's sad, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and that rigidity isn't a place where you can really grow. I mean, it sounds cheesy, but you know, it's that whole analogy that you can grow like the goldfish that grows to the size of the the tank that it's in or, you know what I mean? And so it's like when we've been confined in this strict, rigid view, this biblical literalism or this you know, dualistic thinking or keeping of Christianity, like, right. Or the sing, single expression that, uh, masquerades as being rooted in, in church history and tradition when in reality, it's maybe at most a few hundred years old, or if you're 
part of the reformed camp, you know, it's maybe 500 years old or something like that, which in the grand scheme of things isn't an incredibly, you know, dated. I mean, and if you look back in the 2000 plus years of church history now, and anyway, all that to be said, it's like when you have only one way you can look at things, that is not conducive to true freedom and growth. Mm -hmm. That is, you need to be a carbon copy of everybody else and you cease to reflect. What privilege too, to be able to reflect that. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to have like that certain like culture at that certain time to be able to reflect that certain theological belief. It's just, anyway. So Derek, I know that Rachel said earlier that you still identify as Christian. So do you ever want to go back to church? I, that's a great question. Actually, um, I think I would at, at, at different points. And I'm not opposed to going to church. I'm not opposed to the church. Actually, I think the church isn't past redemption. <laughs> like, I, I don't think that it's a lost cause and needs to die. I think the institution's a different story. But the church, as we understand, as being a gathering of people um, who are genuinely accepting of one another and inclusive of one another and, and gather around love and a desire to grow spiritually together, I think it's a beautiful thing. And again, I, I think that it, when it gets overly systematic and overly structured and formalized, that's when it starts to become cemented in this institution. And especially as it's taken off in America, I mean, just the marriage of nationalism and capitalism and how, you know, the, the whole mega church phenomenon to where, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars are being funneled into these empires that are built around these personalities with incredibly large egos and huge followings and have quasi, you know, celebrity status. And it's just a, a really, really weird evolution of the church. And, you know, again, I, the last church that we were a part of ha had a lot of beautiful things mm -hmm. about it. I, you know, I, I still talk to some of uh, the people there. In fact, the pastor ha and I connect in a lot of ways theologically, and it's from an Anglican tradition. And I find that a lot of denominations, you know, especially as they are moving more towards inclusivity and uh, aff affirming theology and different things, I think people are getting it. And I, I don't, my, my, my greatest fear is that especially those within deconstruction swing to the other side of fundamentalism where they're fundamentally opposing the other side in such a vehement way to where it's just perpetuating division. And there's room for anger. There's room for frustration. There's room for calling out system of, systems of oppression. But I think that at the end of the day, what what creates the most change is is being able to and Rachel disagrees with me on this and that's fine is is being part of like creating something that opposes it in its essence so it's like you know being able to have inclusive churches having affirming churches having spaces to where 
you know, make room just, for uncertainty. Let me, all churches should be affirming. Like, right. This is not like not space for affirming. Like let I me, just wanted to let me to, elaborate what I mean yeah. by that. It's irrealistic for us to expect that to happen across the board for churches. It's not realistic. That's an ideal. But my point is, is that the reality is, is that if we want to see change, it's not like throw church away completely because church in and of itself is evil. No, I think that it's been hijacked by toxic theology, you know, uh, abusive structures, you know, conflated with nationalism and, you know, patriarchy and, you know, fill in the blank, misogyny, homophobia, all these things that are just horrible. And the more we create space that is supposed to be the true essence of what I believe this community, uh, you know, call it church, whatever, is supposed to look like, I think the more that that grows, and that's what I think is happening within deconstruction, right? You see this spiritual evolution of sorts of where people are leaving, you know, emptying the pews, if you will, but not all of, you know, not everyone is forsaking faith and whether or not they do or not is, I mean, we, we make space for all that and we're totally inclusive of that. But the whole point is that I think that the real change happens in the church is when they're made so uncomfortable. The And when I say they, I'm talking about maybe more rigid fundamentalist, you know, typical evangelical teaching where it's kind of like they have either a choice to completely die out and no one listens to them anymore because their brand, quote unquote, is... I feel like that's happening. We're watching No, it, we're, we are. And, and so what I'm trying to say is creating that, like the new wave of what church should be, I think is going to either force them to die or to change, right? And so that's what I was trying to communicate. And that, yeah. And, and yeah. Get out. And it's really interesting to watch because you know, the more and more people share their questions and their doubts, the more and more people are are rising to see that this is common Mm -hmm. and that something is not right. Something severely is not right. And I hate, and I don't hate often, but I hate 45. And if there is anything that that person did, it was like, uh, I hate this verbiage, but like a mass awakening of like this generation to like GTFO and just realize like what a true cult it has become. And when you deny like reason and you encourage your congregation to just like, you know, just what we've seen come out of that. I really, really think that they expose themselves in such a real way that like they will very soon be irrelevant and it it's a dying breed. And, you know, that's kind of like my friend who ended our friendship. It was one of those things where I was like, well, you're super racist and you're very homophobic and you, you know, under the Bible uh, are okay with putting your child in physical harm because spare the rod, spoil the child. And we had these conversations and I was like, how, I don't understand how you can believe in, in Jesus and think that he would ever condone things like that. I just, I don't. So, um, uh, it's hurtful, but like at the same time, you have to see these people that are saying these things. And it's like, man, you just like, don't really have like values that I think are safe to embody. So like, I can only be so hurt, you know, can only hurt so much. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think part of you two both approach it from completely different perspectives, but I think there is a common ground there, right? Because we're, it's not just about being hostile towards, you know, all people of faith or anything like that. But I think a lot of what deconstruction is, is our pursuit changes. We go from pursuing some mythical, easily defined truth that doesn't actually exist Mm -hmm. and and pursuing unity just for the sake of unity and strength and influence. And we trade that in for pursuit of love and justice. Mm -hmm. And so, Everything changes, and, but it, we don't all have to agree in order to get together and, you know, love each other and try to work together for the common good. I think where we get into trouble, uh, and Rachel, what I've heard you touch on has certainly been true in my own life, when we try to build a brand around it, it becomes this machine that just digests everyone it touches. It becomes so toxic, but I, I completely agree. I think what's happened in the United States in the last four years, it, it hasn't just shown that they're going to be irrelevant. It shows they already are hmm. because they've sold their soul to something other than what they said they sold their soul to, and they just have no place. Um, to offer help to anyone because they're spiritually bankrupt themselves. And and I know that's strong terminology, but that's just how I feel at this yeah, point. Yeah, it's, it's spot on. So spot on. All right. So I was thinking today, preparing for this conversation about the things I wanted to ask you guys. And one of the questions that popped into my mind was not a question I've ever asked anybody before, but I'd love to hear both of your answers on this. If you, the two of you, had the opportunity to speak to a conference of a thousand of the most influential evangelical church leaders in the world, what would you say to them? You know, I've been chewing on this question. And first, like, what a incredible opportunity (laughs) to be able to like have them all in a room and just have their undivided attention, because that's not something that normally people who feel they have all of the answers that you would ever get, you know? Um, Cause I feel like that is what evangelical and fundamental and all of these different denominations of Christianity feel like they have is certainty, um, which is why I oppose certainty so much. I would want to just like shake them and look at them and be like, how can you not believe a victim? How can you not sit there and take the, the text literally when it says, weep with those who weep, but you can take it literally when it says, um, a man shall not lie with man or what, whatever the, the translation is in there that is completely wrong. Um, and I'm very passionate about that, but how can you take these things literally that are so oppressive, but when it comes to compassion and grace and love and inclusion, you say that we have itching ears and you say that we've come into this new gospel, which is inclusive and progressive and all of these things. When over a long period of time, we have seen humanity repeat itself in desiring oppression, desiring exclusivity, desiring positioning ourselves over people and, and all of these things. And that is Christianity today. And that is itching ears to me, this exclusive, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm on top, I'm, you know, the the top tier. That is humanity. If we want to talk about what, what soothes our ego and makes us comfortable, it is challenging to be inclusive. It is challenging to sit with somebody in their pain. It is challenging to have like unending grace 
And that is the opposite of itching ears because a lot of people don't know what to do with people's trauma and they try and have answers and they try and make them get over it and all this stuff, but to just sit and, and not say you have to get over it, not say pray more, read the Bible, blah, 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 you know, find a mentor, do this, serve, give your money, just whatever. That is what I would tell them, you know? Like you take the Bible literally when it's convenient, but when you're instructed to to be there with somebody who is in pain, you shut it down immediately because it challenges your narrative. That's where I struggle the most. Yeah, and that's what I would say. And then I would also say like, read two different biblical commentaries and and just like realize that you don't have the answers, okay? Like you don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think... Uh... You know, I've been thinking about this question too. I think Rachel touched on a lot. I think for me too, it would be a lot of challenging where they got the beliefs that they they hold as irrefutable, right? You know, and I've kind of touched on them already, but making room at the table for things like universal reconciliation, um, you know, really expanding people's thinkings be thinking beyond just Augustinian influence or, you know, reformed thinking or yeah, exactly. Calvin or whatever. But I don't know. I just feel like when people think of, Oh, I'm so, you know, about church history and blah, that they're talking about post-reformation or, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and the, the thing is, is that, a lot of pastors that have gone to seminary have been out of p- particular, very, very strict, narrow views that aren't teaching the next generation of church leaders to think critically and to challenge conventional ideas. And, you know, um, anyway, my point is, is I, was, I would really just ask the, the hard questions that everybody's asking but also be able to present them in a way that it's not as black and white as you think it is. And really pushing against that, that exclusive sort of, yeah, really, you know, assumptive reasoning that, you know, people bring their presuppositions into the text and they weaponize scripture in a way that keeps people in check and it doesn't encourage people into a place of genuinely experiencing growth in their lives. And I think, you know, I'm reminded of Jesus saying that you'll know a tree by its fruit. And why is it that the fruit is rotten off of a lot of, you know, these churches that are so destructive? And why is it that so many people know the church, not by the love, like Jesus said that we should be known by, but by hatred and hypocrisy and exclusion and you know i mean well, Phil, when you make love whatever definition you want it to be and that's the thing it's this it's this weird sort of my point is is that the the whole idea of yeah redefining love as you know they, they often a, a lot of evangelical teaching is like oh you know the world is just redefining love to be whatever feels good. First of all, as if feeling good about yourself and, and not hating yourself is a bad thing. And, and, and two, as if you need to essentially 
place so many mental gymnastics, you know, that you get to a point of conflating hatred and control and conformity to being the same thing as love. And, you know, just how people will use these pet verses, like speaking the truth and love to, to be a total asshole and to say whatever they want to say in judgment to manipulate people to do what they want to do. And that's why there's spiritual abuse that's run rampant. It's because people in positions of power, which shouldn't be a thing, I, I just, I, I don't get it. I know I'm kind of ranting right now, but the last thing I'd probably touch on is to challenge the structure of the church. Why is it that now the church looks more like a business empire than it does just a a messy community of people who are just living life together, who are friends, who share, you know, what they have with each other, who care for one another, who are there for each other, supportive and real. And, you know, it's, it's that contagious love that's, has a gravitational pull to it that people want to be part of. It's not this manipulative tactic tactic to where let me use these flashy systems and these really cool, you know, graphics and branding to attract people in. And, you know, it's this whole sort of manipulative structure that it's almost like a bait and switch. You get people reeled into this environment and then they get sucked into a system where you're just you're as good as what you contribute, you know, and Rachel kind of touched on it earlier. I, I became like a dispensable expense to where the more I gave and the more calling on my life that I exhibited or whatever, the more I was this, you, you know, this, this, this thing to be used. Right. And people become dispensable. It's like you use people to achieve what you want selfishly instead of just making it about people. At some point, we end up feeling like livestock. Yeah. Every time. I mean, it just there's there's just this lambs to the slaughter metaphor uh, in so many church settings. All right, so let's flip that question around. Instead of speaking to a thousand influential evangelical pastors, now you're sitting with one person who's been wounded by the toxic theology that they espouse. What do you say to that person that's been hurt? If there's somebody listening today, and they just they, they have so many painful memories, so many traumatic experiences from the church. What do you say to them uh, that could encourage them that their life can heal from that? For me, I'll start um, because that was me. And I did not, I don't think one person understood my situation. And every time I would bring it to anybody, it would be just met with you know, a lot of the same answers and just a lot more shame and a lot more victim blaming. Um, and nothing was ever, ever wrong with the church ever, or something was wrong, but it was still up to me to rely on my spirituality, you know, to, to get me through. And it was just invalidation after invalidation after it's my fault after why can't I just connect to God better? What's wrong with me? Why aren't my prayers working? I obviously have sin in my life. Like me, 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 me. I was the problem. And, you know, I kind of got through it by disassociation and just like physically, emotionally disassociating myself. And I ended up in therapy where 
for the first time, I felt like I was really able to breathe through it and see abuse for what it was. And I think a lot of going through spirituality, you are often blamed for where you are. And so like systematic abuse in the church and abuse that you may face is not a concept for a lot of people. And, you know, one of my good friends who went through just like unspeakable things, just like last month, I've known her since I was 20, just last month, like started getting help because it was bypassed in her life so often, you know, in the church. And, and she took on a lot of that. And so if there's one thing that I could say is like, if you feel like a victim, if something feels like abuse to you, listen to that. It is not your fault. It is, and, and I am so passionate about that because nobody asks for abuse. It doesn't matter if you did X, Y, and Z. If you experienced abuse, it was never justified. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you sinned. It doesn't matter if you did this. Like that was wrong and it needs to be held accountable and you can heal from that. And you don't have to stay in church to do that. You don't have to stay around abusive people to do that. If church is traumatic, if spirituality is traumatic, do not press into that trauma. Leave it. Heal. And if the, if you find yourself back there, that needs to be a free decision on your own and not something that you feel like you have to do because it will, it will bring you ultimate healing. No, 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 <laughs> no. Go find your healing. And if that leads you back to spirituality, it leads you back to spirituality. But you have to give yourself that chance and recognize the abuse that you've had in your life. You know, we want to we want to gaslight ourselves. We want to tell ourselves that we were the ones that were wrong or, you know, whatever. But a victim of abuse is a victim of abuse. And also piggybacking off that is it doesn't matter the intentions of the person who oh, not at all. who abused you know, a lot of times people will then self gaslight, like, well, I'm sure they meant well. It's it, like, I'm sure they didn't mean to, you know, just constantly remind me that we're living in the end times and all this horrible stuff is going to happen. And, you know, all these conspiracy theories, you know, find their fulfillment and, and everything that QAnon predicted. That's what happened to me. <laughs> or, I mean, fill in whatever thing that is legitimately trauma inducing. But the, the whole point is, it does not matter if they ignorantly did it, if they did it with a desire to love you. People need to hear that the way that they're practicing Christianity is not the ultimate way of doing so. And if you're seeing people victimized and traumatized as a result of your quote-unquote ministry, the problem isn't them, it's you. And He's talking about, not about the victim. Let's just... Yeah, the problem is the person yeah. who's inflicting the abuse, not yeah. the abusee or, or the one who's the been... Abu- right. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, whole, I, the whole point is that for so long, people have been silenced and told that, you know, they're doing it for attention they're making it up. They are... They're whiny. They're snowflakes. Um, they're not mm-hmm. truly, you know, in touch with God or whatever it may be, you know, the spiritual bypassing like crazy. And what that does is just heaps shame. It's, it's pouring salt on a wound. And basically what we're trying to say is validation. 
so yeah, I think for me, just to, mm-hmm. to just finish that off, I think what I would want to do for anyone in that space is just to create space to where people don't feel like they need to have answers, but they just have someone who's there for them and yeah. accepts them for who they are, where they are. And it's, they don't need to go anywhere else. They don't need to rush their process. They, they can just be where they are and they're not alone in it. Awesome. I, our time is just about gone, but I, I don't want to let you go without asking about your favorite heretics. Uh, Derek, you and I got to know each other uh, a little over a year ago, and I, I just love your heart. And I, I've gotten to know Rachel a little bit through social media. I just love you guys so much. And I'm so grateful that now at this moment, your voices have been raised up. And I know it's y'all are raising them um, to, to speak truth to BS in a way that uh, isn't happening a lot right now. Um, but after you and I got to know each other, Derek, there's I, I see this, this social media channel pop up called Your Favorite Heretics, and it's sharing just unbelievable content consistently. And then there's a group that happens, and there's just this amazing transparency in the group, and there's real organic life-giving conversations, and there's no shame, and there's no guilt, and it's just beautiful. And, and Rachel, you may hate this, but that Facebook group is everything I wish the church could be. Hmm. And so I have to know the story. How did that happen? Was this just something you guys were sitting around looking for something? To do? I mean, where did it come from? So I originally started it and asked if Derek wanted to join in. And it just, you know, he was out of town and I was just sitting there and I was like, I just want to let people know what's going on, you know, because I had been silent for so long about what I believed, where I was. And it just kind of got to this point where... I think we had kind of dipped our toes in, been called a heretic enough to kind of see like how, what the response was going to be. And yeah, we didn't expect it to be where it is. We just made it for friends and family and whoever else wanted to join in. Um, but we made that post on church trauma, which really, really got a lot of attention. And I'm really thankful for it because a lot of people found healing through that. And you know, I don't hate church. I really think that if it brings something beautiful to you, then, then that should be what it is. You know, I hate the idea that it is a should and that you have to. And so that's why I kind of resist the idea of church so much, not because I struggled with it myself, but because I feel like it is something that people return to when they're not ready and return to because they feel like they have to. And it's because they feel like it's the only way to relate to God. But, Mm. you know, I feel like you're right. Like I, I see more community love justice and care for one another and our heretic community group on Facebook than I've ever experienced in the church because it's a place to, to feel validated, a place to pursue God in whatever way you understand him to heal. And it's just beautiful. Like I wish, man, like I would still be rocking the Christian label if that was what I encountered, you know? And Derek and I are barely in that Facebook group, but when we're in there, we're just community members ourselves. We're there. You know, because <laughs> we're, I don't we're think very, we're the solution. We're, I think we facilitate a right. community. Yeah, it's not, it's not like our show to just pump out yeah. content in this group or whatever. We, we just enjoy, yeah, like she said, facilitating and, and getting to, to watch, you know, something beautiful come to life. And mm-hmm. I think you know, being able to witness 
safety in a very hostile environment, which we have like witches, ex-evangelicals, Christians, atheists, like, like all over the spectrum, just relating to one another in such a beautiful way. Yeah. And anyway, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's wonderful to see so many people from all sorts of, you know, perspectives come together. But what I was trying to say is in such a hostile environment, like social media can be, it's really rare to be able to find a corner of social media that isn't vitriolic and just awful to be a part of. It's like people are are wanting to stay away from social media most often because it can be so dangerous and triggering. Yeah. But to to be able to facilitate that space and see, Mm -hmm. you know, wonderful conversations happen and people find support and, and validation and, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one questioning this and laugh at some funny things and whatever it may be. But I don't know, to, to see people experience healing is everything yeah. to us. So That's really beautiful. I'm, I'm grateful that you guys uh, have maintained that Facebook group for old people like me. There's a lot of young people in the group, but Facebook is, is getting older. And I, I can't figure out TikTok, so I really appreciate the Facebook group. Uh, <laughs> but you guys are everywhere, right? I mean, you're on Instagram, TikTok, you've got a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. What's next for you? What are you working on for the future? We, we're, we're looking at what it would look like to write a book down the road and books, multiple. Um, and I think that is a, a long-term goal for sure. Mm-hmm. But we want to be more consistent on uh, YouTube. That's been something that, you know, we've... Just whatever like leads to people's healing. Like people are our priority and like whatever the community leads us to do, I think is our priority, you know? And I think as long as we hold that the highest and we make safety the priority and our voice, like as a part of the communal voice, I think that's where we'll hit our stride and whatever comes next will be a result of that. Though I'm pretty excited to write. Well, I'm sure it's going to be brilliant. I'm really excited about potential books in the future. Uh, I love what you guys are doing with YouTube. Um, for for me, the exposure to your favorite heretics all started on Instagram, and that's just built and built and grown, and it's just beautiful. But that Facebook group is is uh, really one of the few reasons that I'm still on Facebook. So I'm I'm grateful for it. Um, we're going to include links to all of those various platforms that we just talked about and your connection there. Uh, so I want to invite our friends listening to be sure to check those out. This movement with uh, Rachel and Derek is just getting started. And I'm really excited to see where this journey leads. I'm so grateful for the two of you. Uh, As I've said now six times probably on this broadcast, I love your heart. I look forward to the day that we can be in the same room with each other and experience the same organic transparency that seems to follow you guys wherever you are. Um, What's the best way for people to engage with you in your work online? Um, our work is always posted to our Instagram, but where we engage in community is on our Facebook group for sure. Private Facebook group. So send us a request and, uh, you know, like Jason mentioned, uh, links will be in the show notes. So yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for doing this. It's been so great spending this hour with you both. Thanks Jason. It was a joy. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. 
If you found it meaningful, please rate and review the show on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. Join the conversation by following the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or by joining our listener-exclusive Messy Conversations group on Facebook. You can help us produce future episodes by becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash messy spirituality. Finally, check out Jason's weekly Pathios column at messyspirituality.org. We'll be back soon with another new episode.